Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. If you have your Bibles and will join me in the book of Galatians chapter number 6. I'm going to read two very familiar passages of scripture to many people. But it may be the first time for some. But I want the Lord to just touch us together today as we consider his word one more time. Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so today I want, with the help of the Lord, from these two scriptures to just lift from here the subject, a mission of mercy. Amen. I believe that the church has a mission of mercy. I was reading a, a story last night of many, many years ago, decades ago. Um, a preacher was preaching and he was holding an outside um, revival of sorts. It was, it was in a day when hanging, lynching was still uh, a part of the culture and uh, of our nation, many places in our nation. And as he was preaching and people were gathered around, they were in close proximity to the courthouse and where the hangings took place. And it just happened to be that while he was preaching, the sheriff and the powers that be were leading a man, and they were leading him to the gallows. And uh, his time, his appointment with death had come. And as they walked by, the preacher stopped, and he just began to stare at this little procession as they were making their way. And there was this condemned man, steps and moments away from his death. And that preacher paused and he looked at them and then he looked at his congregation or his audience that had gathered. And he said, but for grace, there go I. But for grace, there go I. How stunning and shocking to see that in that moment and in that context. Men, but for grace, there go I. God bless you, and you can be seated. A mission of mercy. The Bible says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault. And I know sometimes our minds kind of run to a specific channel or at least an area when we think about that. But that word fault in this context really means if a man or certainly a woman, is caught falling away. Or if there is a sense of falling aside. Amen. Ye who are spiritual. I've often said this is the only place in Scripture where, 
where the Bible and the Lord is reaching for someone and denotes them and titles them spiritual. So spiritual people are not called to put on black robes of judgment. But spiritual people in scripture were called for a mission of mercy. To be restorative in their nature. To restore such a one. The Bible says in the spirit of meekness. Considering thine own self lest thou be tempted. Or lest you be tried. It seems to me almost unusual that, that Paul would open the book of Galatians addressing the saints. And then now as we come to some of the concluding passages of scripture or this letter. That Paul would address the church of Galatia still talking to the saints. So we're talking about people that have been born again. And we're talking about people that have been partakers of the divine nature of God. Paul has not transitioned his audience. He's not standing on a corner. And he's not down at the local bar room, so to speak. But he's talking to people in whose hearts was planted the incorruptible seed of the word of God. And so how is it that he speaks here of someone in the church, let's just put it in our context, in the church that is overtaken in a fault. We could assume perhaps somebody filled with the Holy Spirit would not fall into temptation or that they would not fall into this fault. However, if we're going to be honest, we have to say we all know that's not true. Because we may be filled with his spirit. We may be filled to the brim with his spirit, but we are still in our flesh. Amen. And in our flesh, we can err. In our flesh, we can get out of the will of God. In fact, there is one common denominator that is found in the heart of men and women, whether it is the church of today or whether we're looking at the church of yesteryear in Scripture, and that one common denominator would be fault. Amen. We all have the ability to fail. We all have the ability to err. It's universal. And so we all have faults. No matter how wonderful a person may be, the closer you get to them, you're going to be able to detect that there is, there is something wrong. And so I would say this today, and if you're sitting close to your best friend, uh, just be, be patient with me here, but your very best friend, there are some things that you have to tolerate in that friendship to maintain that friendship. There's just some things, some nuances. There's, they have ways that, that, that are, are they kind of go against the grain of how you are and whatever that may be. And, uh, you know, if you may be that person that really likes to be on time and your best friend is not all that conscientious of time and uh, you can work on that to try to repair that. But chances are we're going to put them in the ground late. Amen. That's, and we just have to embrace those things. Those are just maybe false. It's universal. And uh, so no matter, uh, no matter that we're filled with his spirit and no matter that we have a testimony of a great experience, when we began our journey with God, we had a lot to learn. Uh, absolutely. And we are still learning. We had a lot of mistakes that were going to be before us. They were in our path. We didn't know it at the time, but they were there. They were, they were hurdles that we were going to have to overcome and obstacles that we would have to navigate around 
no way to know about the trials that we would face and no way to know how many instances of failure would we, we would have to deal with in our own life. However, this doesn't just apply to new people in the Lord or somebody young in their relationship with God. This also applies to the most veteran person sitting right here in this house today. Men and women who have traveled many, many miles with God, yet we find ourselves in error. It doesn't matter how long you've been living for God. You can have a bad spirit. You can get an attitude. You can have a bad attitude. You can have a, a, a critical and a cynical spirit. And so uh, we find ourselves in that error. And please hear me. I'm not talking about gross sin. And I'm not talking about deliberate sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about human frailties and faults. And if we've got gross error in our lives, we've got to take that to the altar. We've got to make that right. But just because we've been serving the Lord for years, it does not exempt us from error. Because we are flesh. Amen. We are flesh. We can't write things off that this is just how I am. I've met a lot of people that never would correct the error in their life. Even error they acknowledge because they always gave themselves a pass by saying, well, this is just how I am. Well, that's not good enough because we can't say we've been born again and then claim that we are trapped in our human nature. Amen. Praise God. Well, I see you're not going to run the aisles on that one. So I'm just going to be wise enough to keep going. That's what I'm going to do. James and John and, and Simon Peter, if you find them in Scripture, and when you do, they were at the very heart of the ministry of God. They were at the core of what was going on. I want to be careful here because I don't want it to be portrayed that there was a click within the, the apostle ministry of Jesus Christ. I'm not suggesting that at all. But Peter, James, and John, I mean, you see them at the core. They are one step closer than the others that were there, the other nine. They belong there at the, at the Last Supper. We see John himself, the beloved John, with his head leaned against the bosom of the Lord. This was very symbolic of their relationship, the closeness of their relationship. And Simon Peter next to him. And in this moment here, are these three men that started feeling very elite in their own spirit. Amen. Simon Peter next to him asked Jesus, who is it that's going to betray you? Who is this? James and John were so close to Jesus. These were people that they had a walk with God. And I mean that in the most literal way. They had a close walk with God and a close relationship with God. Yet it was, it was James and John, these brothers who came to the Lord in Mark chapter 35, or chapter 10 rather, and verse 35. And, and, and here was their posture. I'm not going to read this word for word, but this is a summary of these scriptures. They said, now, we don't know about these other disciples. We, we can't really speak on behalf of them. Amen. Here's these three elite people, two of them serving as a spokesman. And said, you know, they could just go find their place wherever you think is appropriate for them. But as for us, but as for us, uh, we would like to be on your right hand and put the other one on, the, on your left hand. That's where we want to be. Amen. That's where we want to be. In other words, they were really saying, 
We want you to make one of us the prime minister of the kingdom and we want you to make the other one the chancellor of the kingdom. That's what we want. Now, wherever these other people fit in, you just go ahead and plug them in where you think. But this is where we think we ought to be because we can get a real high opinion of ourselves. They thought here is where we belong and, and those fit them wherever you may in the kingdom, but surely they're going to be a little lower down on the, on the rung of the ladder. That was James and that was John. Simon Peter, the chief of the apostles, he was the one that the Lord used to open the door uh, to, to receiving the Holy Ghost to the Gentiles in, in Acts 10. And he was the one with the keys. I mean, Simon Peter had a privileged position within the work and the framework of the ministry of the Lord. Amen. And, and he said to the Lord, his, here's his elite idea of himself. He said, now all will forsake you, but not me. I'm here. You can just lean on me. If you need to fall, you fall my way. Lord, all these other disciples, they may turn and run, but the Lord said, because he knew better, he said, verily I say unto you before the cock crows twice, before he crows twice, you will deny me three times. And we know the story that Simon Peter, he didn't take this sitting down. No, Lord, no, Lord. But there was a rooster crowing in his future. <laughs> and there was a denial coming in his future. And he didn't see this. He didn't anticipate this. And so I'm, I'm talking about the mission of the church. Brethren, amen, if a man be overtaken in the fall, I'm talking about three men who were as close to the Lord as they could possibly get and all three of these men erred because of their flesh. I, I know that, that we don't like to think about it in these terms, but all of that lives in our heart today. I, I wouldn't do this. I know others have, but other, but I wouldn't do this. But I will tell you that there, there's one thing, I'm going to say it again, that characterizes all of us. It is fault. It is fault. Now, I can just anticipate husbands and wives going home today and, and over dinner saying, well, the preacher really got you today, didn't he? <laughs> Amen. You're going to be at fault if you do that. The attitude toward fault and failure and the attitude toward human weakness, it vacillates in our world. I mean, it grossly changes. We can see snippets of that even within the, the, the context of the church. There can be extremes on teaching and extremes on preaching. Some are way right and others are way left. You don't have to be quiet on this. You know I'm right. Amen, we can find this in the church way over here or way over there. And I've always said there is a great danger in extremes. There's a great danger in extremes. It doesn't matter which one, you can pick your poison, but there's great danger in extremes. But there is safety in moderation. There is safety in, in the beginning in the middle of the road. And I'm not ashamed to tell you, and I'm not afraid to tell you this morning, that I am a middle of the road preacher and I'm a middle of the road pastor. And that doesn't always fit well with everybody. But I've lived long enough to see the danger of people that try to ride too close to the ditch. And I say, Lord, help me to find, as David said, my foot standeth in an even place. Help me to find that even place with you. Because I've watched too many people crash and burn trying to live their life on the extreme side of things. And again, you pick your ditch. It doesn't really matter because death resides in both. So I say, Lord, help us. And so when we find and if we find extremes in the church, 
then we also have to really think about if it resides within the context of the kingdom of God, then how much more would that vacillate within the world in which we live? Things in life seem to go from just uh, one extreme to the other. It just, they're over here, the trends and the fads and the fashions of the world just bare right or they bare left. It just seems like there's very, very little room for middle ground. I, along with many of you, have lived long enough to see many of these extremes play out in our world. Some of you have been alive long enough to remember when big, long, bushy sideburns, that was the way to do it. I mean, it just, the longer, the better, the bushier, the better. That was just how you do it. And so when, when it come time for that fad to change, it didn't just go back to normal. It went to no sideburns at all. To which I don't even have any today. And there's these extremes. From extremely long hair on men. You remember that. Many of you remember that. It was unheard of. It, was, it, was in, it shocked the culture of our American nature. It shocked the, the, uh, the, the Amer our American culture, our way of thinking. To see grown men with excessively long hair. And then it went all the way from that with great difference over here. It went all the way from that to shaved heads. Amen. Just an extreme. He's not following a trend or fashion. He's just doing what he wants to do. But we see that in our culture. We see that at large. But there's no room in the middle. There's just no middle ground. We see from big, huge bell-bottom pants. Anybody remember those? Amen. You're going to tell on yourself if you admit that too loud. But they didn't just come back to normal. They went all the way to just pistol legs, you know. I mean, just cut off the blood circulation in your feet. Just extremes because... Trends and fads and fashions because there's this absence of, uh, of, of being able to find the middle from extremely long skirts on ladies all the way down to the ground, all the way to many, many, many skirts and no, no moderation whatsoever. I know some of you are looking at me and wonder where in the world are we going with all of this? Well, if you'll hang around about two o'clock today, we'll get to the point. Amen. So... Since these extremes are in our society, then think of how true it is in our individual lives. Because we are part and parcel of what pushes all of the things that I'm talking about today. And you can write yourself an innocent ticket if you want to, but we're in this world. And we're a part of, our nature is a part of what pushes and pulls at the seam work of all of this. And then you look at how we are when we see a successful man or a person or we see a famous man or woman and we see their faults or their sins or we see their failures because of their position or because of their wealth. I'm talking about society at large because of their position or their wealth. And as a society, we have a tendency to overlook that. And, and I've heard many people say, uh, sadly, I've heard church people say, well, everybody does. We just overlook things because of their station in life, because this is who they are. We see them, uh, we see faults as nothing more than just idiosyncrasies. Well, we're all different. We're all, we're none made the same and we give passes here and passes there. But if that same person was poor, if that same person lived on the other side or the wrong side, 
when they fall into failures and, and defaults and, and they, the, the wrath of society seems to just come down and, 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 and come down hard many times on their defenseless head. And we can say amen or oh me, but this is true. We can say uh, either way. I remember, and, and maybe to help validate what I'm saying, I remember many years ago now sharing a, a video one night, uh, one of our services. We shared a video of a conference. And in that conference, it was a conference that was held in Alexandria, Louisiana. And then the pastor, the then pastor of the church there, Brother Anthony Mangan, brought uh, several people to the platform and they were talking about their testimonies and where God had brought them. And, and in particular, he brought... Uh, two ladies and and uh, one of the ladies had talked she got up and she talked about being homeless and she talked about being a drug addict and she talked about her alcoholism and and she talked about all of the things this and how frowned on she was in society and all of the things that she had encountered I see some of you nodding your head maybe you remember that that service and what I'm referring to and when she finished her testimony we felt so sorry for her because this is where she had been and her plight in life standing beside her was a, a very refined lady now you could just tell the way she stood and the way she carried herself Her she was very poised and the second lady very affluent and very well mannered she came to the microphone Microphone. Her vocabulary was a lot richer. Her mannerisms were a lot broader. But when she stepped to the microphone, she said, in honesty, my story is not unlike her story with just one exception. My life played out just like her life, but my life played out in high society and not in the streets. And she, in fact, was a very influential lady, a very prominent lady, and a very wealthy lady. But she said, I struggle with drugs. I struggle with alcoholism. I struggle with promis promiscuity and on and on and on. For one lady, society pushed her away because they said, we can't have that. This is who you are. We don't know where you, what caused all of this. But the other lady, she had the same beer can in her hand, so to speak, had the same drugs in her vein, had the same issues in her heart. But they said, it's okay. It's all right. It doesn't matter because you fit into our world. We're talking about human weaknesses this morning and talking about frailties. We're looking at how the world reacts toward fault and failure and sin and shortcomings. However, there is no greater place to look than scriptures about what our attitude, amen, the body of Christ, what our attitude ought to be about human weakness and ought to be about fault and it ought to be about frailty. Amen. The basis from which the scripture is looked upon in sin and failure never changes. The word of God doesn't wake up one day and say, we're going to feel this way about it today. And the word is then going to read differently when we pick it up on Thursday. No, amen, it's always the same. The word of God can seem at times stern and the word can seem almost impersonal because there is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter what side of society you live on. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank because the law of God is going to be applied to the heart of every man. You can't get around it. I'm going to tell you Ezekiel 18 and 4 is not just a scripture Ezekiel 18 and 4 is a mountain amen that we all have to confront and that mountain says the soul that sins 
it shall die. It didn't say the wealthy soul or the poor soul. It didn't say the educated soul or the uneducated soul. It said the soul that sins is gonna die. And so when we stand before God with sin in our heart, it won't matter what kind of clothes we have on. It won't matter the brand of shoes that we're wearing. It won't matter how many deeds of property bear our name or how many towers bear our name. The soul that sins shall die. Paul picked up his pen and he wrote to the church in Rome in chapter six and verse number 23. And he said, the wages of sin is death, death. Amen, the soul that sins shall die, die. The soul, the wages of sin is death. Not the wages for some, not the wages for this group, not the wages for that group. James 2 and 10 said, if a man keep the whole law, all of it, and fail in one point, he is guilty of it all. He is a sinner. And according to Romans 6 and 23, the wages, the wages of sin is death. And so we can't, I know we will sometimes in our flesh want to give somebody a pass, but the word of God is irrevocable. The word of God won't move out of our way. We've got to surrender our lives to it and submit our lives to it. That is the law. And it just doesn't change. According to Romans 3 and 20, the law condemns us. Our faults and our failures, our sins and our shortcomings, when we place them against the righteous backdrop of God's holy word, it all falls short. It all shows up black, so to speak. Amen. But this is what the message of Jesus Christ is all about. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Hallelujah. Romans 8 and 3. Amen. It's what, what the law could not accomplish. What the law could not take care of. And what we could not do because we were born in sin and in iniquity did our mother conceive us. That's what David said in the 51st Psalm. Because of those conditions, amen, we need the gospel. We need the goodness of God. I'm thankful that the goodness of God reached further down than I could reach up. I'm thankful that the goodness of God made its way to me whenever I couldn't make my way to him. Amen. The goodness of God gave common man access to an uncommon God. The apostle John wrote about it beautifully in, in John 1 and 17. He said, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And when John wrote it again in the third chapter, or wrote again in the third chapter, verse 17, he reminded us that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but that, that the world through him might be saved. I'm not talking about trying to work around sin. I'm not talk, talking about trying to reduce the power of the word of God, but Jesus Christ didn't come to condemn the world. Or as Paul wrote in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Aren't you thankful for the gift? My, my goodness. And that's what Paul writes for us who have looked in faith to Jesus Christ. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thine own self, lest thou also be tempted. 
Last night when I read that story, that age old story of the preacher preaching of the little outside prayer meeting and little outside revival, in my mind I just envisioned that condemned man. I envisioned that condemned man and I could almost hear the words of that preacher that said, but for grace there go I. But for grace there go I. We don't always have that stark reminder. We don't always have that op- the opportunity to look at something that, that blatant and that bold but we need to understand that but for grace, there go I. Considering thine own self, that's what the scripture said. Considering thine own self, lest thou be tempted. And so what a difference in spirit and attitude ought to be found in the household of faith. In the household of faith. If I ever stumble, I say, dear God, don't let me fall into the critical hands are into the hands of critical people. Amen. You remember David sinned, numbered the people, and the Lord said, you've got three choices here. I'm going to give you, you, you just go cut your own switch. <laughs> you can do this, you can do this, or you can do that. And David had one wise one wise response let me fall in the hands of God if I stumble dear Lord don't let me fall in the hand of the critic don't let me fall in the hand of the self-righteous but let me fall into the hands of someone that would, cons- that, that would consider the fact that this could be them Amen. Let, let, I've said it over and over and over again, but please don't let me ever find, and don't let other people ever find more mercy outside of the church than can be found in the church. Amen. Oh, God, help us to let mercy. You see, hypocrites in the modern church are Pharisees of the Scripture. Amen. That's the truth. Pharisees still exist. They lift themselves up as being superior to others who have fallen around them. You remember, you remember Luke 18, the man who actually didn't think this, he said it out loud. And he didn't say it out loud to just a company of his friends. He said it to the Lord, I thank thee that I am not like other men. <laughs> wow. Wow. Somebody go broaden and widen the door so this man can get out of the building. I thank you that I'm not other, like other men, especially like that publican over there. I'm, I'm so grateful that I'm not like him. Now, that's not the spirit of God, and that is not the spirit of, that should characterize the people of God. Amen. I say a thousand times, no, it should not be. So here's what we would all do ourselves a favor to understand and that is this, that there is not a sin in a category, not one, that every person in this house and anyone joining us online is not capable of. <laughs> not one sin that anyone in this house is not capable of. Now, I know this could be offensive to somebody here, but please hear me. There's not one person in this house that's not capable of murder. I'm smart enough to realize that there are many serial killers in our world. Those who plan diabolically their crimes. But can I tell you something statistically? 
true and something that I have found to be true myself in prison ministry that almost every murderer that you find incarcerated today, the vast, the vast majority of them committed that crime in a moment of wrath. It was not planned. They did not intend. I know there is intentional murder. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the majority. The majority of people did not plan a moment of wrath. In that instant, there was a violent reaction and they did not mean for that that blow to be lethal. They did not mean for that to be the end result. This is not what they intended to do. Amen. I, I know that we have all these people over here in a separate box and they're, they're over here and we would never commit that. But can I tell you the same blood flowing in your heart and in your veins is the same blood flowing in their heart and in their veins today. And we have to understand that I have the capacity to do the same thing. I have the capacity to do the same thing. I, I've mentioned this many times, but we hadn't been uh, in our prison ministry very long before I was, I was there one day and there was a huge man I mean a just a big man he was a big man anyway but very muscle bound man I don't know his story I don't know why he was there but on his on his forearm were the words please forgive me tattooed as big and as bold as you could ever dare imagine to me it said it all I didn't know the man I can't read the context of his heart I don't know how sincere but I believe there was something in his heart they said, I'm here. I didn't mean to be here. I didn't mean to do this. And you know what? That could be anyone in this building today. Go ahead and give yourself a pass if you want to, but you're going to be in dangerous territory mentally and spiritually if you do. But for grace, but for grace, there go I. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault, I need now I need spiritual people. Amen. Now I need spiritual people. When somebody strays from the way, when somebody errs in their decision, this, where I, this is where I need the church. I don't need the church around a coffee table. I don't need a church around a coffee table gossiping and talking about them. No, I need the spiritual ones to restore such a one, not in a spirit of arrogance, not in a spirit of here, let me get this, but in a spirit of understanding and brokenness and compassion in a spirit of mercy. Amen. In a spirit of meekness, considering thine own self, lest thou also be tempted. Amen. Oh, how succinct these two scriptures are. Considering thine own self. This could be me. We're not in the judging business. We're in God's business. We're not in the condemning business. We're in God's business. That's God's business. The Bible says in Romans 12, 19, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. The Lord will take care of all that. We're in the healing business. We're in the helping business. We're in the forgiving business. We're in the loving business. We're in the encouraging business. You say, well, you're trying to soft soap down the message. No, you're misreading and misunderstanding me today. I'm telling you that sin is gonna be taken care of. It's gonna have to come and be reconciled before God. But I'm gonna tell you that God has the church on the earth he didn't come to the world to condemn the world he came to reconcile the world unto himself who is the Lord in this modern day who is the Lord in 2023 well look around you amen you're going to see Jesus is everywhere in this building amen if he had the capacity to put his arm around a woman and say go and sin no more then how much the more how much the more should the church 
how much the more should the church be doing the same thing if he himself wasn't ashamed to sit down at the well with a woman of ill repute and let her know the value of the plan of salvation. Can I tell you one thing? That when she got up from that meeting with the Lord beside that well, when she walked away from that well, she still had children that were out of wedlock. She still had all of her past with her. She still had to deal with everything that had, that had been sown in her life. But the Lord showed her mercy. Amen. Showed her mercy. Amen. I'll ask our musicians to come, but, but please don't pre-dismiss yourself. Luke 9, 52 through 56. It's an interesting story. Brother Williams, reading this last night, it just kind of popped out of the page at me. Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. James and John... They're kind of forerunning, as I envision this. They get to a village to let them know that Jesus is going to be passing by. Jesus is going to be passing by. Jesus of Nazareth is coming. Jesus of Nazareth is on his way. He's going to grace you with his presence. But interestingly enough, the Bible says when they saw that his face was set toward Jerusalem, when they saw that he was on his way, he had a purpose. He was going somewhere. Uh, the, the Bible is kind of silent on a little bit of this, so we don't understand it all. But because of that, there was not a lot of fanfare. Because of that, someone, they didn't seem to be all that excited about that. They didn't, near, they didn't seem to be nearly as excited as James and John thought they should have been. And when they didn't respond like James and John thought they should have responded... Here's what two men closest to the Lord said. Lord, would you like for us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? That's what they said. I mean, they kind of felt like Elijah. I guess they're thinking back to Mount Carmel. I know what we can do. They didn't respond how we think they ought to respond. Lord, would you like for us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? I'm in your Bible. And the Bible says that the Lord turned around and rebuked them. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? You want me to destroy them? You want to call down fire from heaven? They forgot that he didn't come to destroy. Can you imagine the look in, in the Lord's eyes when he's just shaking his head thinking, you don't even get it. You don't even understand. That's not what this is all about. Our business is to help, to pray, to love to encourage, to be compassionate. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, he which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thine own self, lest thou also be tempted. Amen. So we pray for people and love people and help people. That's our business. Do we help some that walk away and never say thank you? Of course. Welcome. Do we get some on their feet? That just once they get everything and all their bearings and they never even turn around to say thanks? Yes. 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 Should that set the mood and the mode of how we're going to treat the next? No. No, no. We got to let that in the hands of God. Amen. We got to pray for people and love them. That's our call and that's the mission of our church. And that is the mission of the church. And it's not our job to ask someone at the end of, that's come to the end of themselves 
when someone is standing with nothing left in their life but just one small knot tied at the end of, of a frayed rope. It's not our job to stand there at that moment and ask them why they tried drugs and alcohol to begin with. It's not our job to figure out why, where they are and how they got where they are. But it's our job to do what Philip did. Our job is to climb up in their own chariot. Our job is to take them from where they are and preach unto them Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, you can, you can climb in the chariot of a banker and you can preach to him Jesus from where he is. Or you can climb in the chariot of a, of a drug addict and preach unto them where Jesus, amen, how, where they are. You can preach to Jesus, preach Jesus to them from wherever they are. And you know what? Where they both are, where they both are is lost and undone. Amen. They're on their way to a devil's hell and they need somebody that will invest in them to pick up the Bible. Take them from where they are, wherever they are. Just take them from where they are and preach to them Jesus. Amen. Stand with me if you will. A paramedic doesn't bend over the bloody body of an accident victim to ask them, why did you run the red light? They don't bend down and whisper in their ear, well, I guess you've learned the danger of driving too fast. No. Because at this moment, that has no bearing on this moment. Now, in case you think I've lost my bearings today, let me tell you, it wasn't the job of the paramedic to lean over and ask, why did you mess up? But there is an officer of the law standing there. There is. And there will be a court. And there will be a judge. And they will take care of that matter later. That's not our job. Whatsoever a man soweth that, shall he also reap. But we've got to leave that in the only hands that are equipped to handle such matters. And what I'm talking about today, those hands have nail prints in them. It's not our job to figure out why. It's just our job to try to take them from where they are and stand them back on their feet. Amen. God, help us today. Amen. Amen. So why is it that maybe... Maybe some here today have not fallen into some unspeakable sin that we find afflicting the lives of others. Well, I'll tell you why. Maybe I'll tell you why not. It's not because we're any better, even if we think we are. And it's not because we're superior, even though somebody may think they are. And it's not because they are in the dregs of, of society. And we are some angelic elect of heaven. I've used Peter, James, and John today with intention. Not to try to demoralize or devalue their life and ministry. But to tell you that if the three closest people to Jesus. Could step out of line. And get pompous. And get arrogant. Are you, I hope we're getting it today. If the three men closest to him could say, can we be on this side and you be on that side let everybody else be where they are. 
if those two brothers who were closest to the Lord could say, Lord, you want us to just call down fire from heaven? If they could get that in their spirit, how much more susceptible am I to that spirit? Amen. It's because today we're where we are because we responded to the grace of God properly. Nothing more, nothing less. Nothing more, nothing less. Amen. I'm thankful for the goodness of God and the mercy of God. Would you just worship the Lord with us? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.